Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Well, I'm so happy to be able to supply, substitute for our pastor, Josh, and since he usually begins by saying good morning, Isn't it good to be in the house of God this morning? Y'all remember him saying that every morning? I'm always grateful for this opportunity to preach to this congregation. I don't know of a congregation that needs to be preached to more than this congregation. (laughs) So I'm happy to have this opportunity. If you've got your Bibles... Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 6 for the text. Galatians chapter 6. Paul's writings usually are divided into two main sections, which, by the way, demonstrates the two very important issues of the Christian life. One, the first issue, the first section is usually the doctrinal exposition of a certain doctrine. The book of Galatians is divided like that. And the second division is the practical application of that doctrine. Now, the doctrine of justification by faith is the theme of the book of Galatians. It's probably the theme of the book of Romans. Justification by faith. The first four chapters of the book of Galatians is devoted to the doctrinal exposition of justification by faith. And then chapters 5 and 6 are devoted to the practical application of the doctrine of justification by faith. The doctrinal heart of the book of Galatians is stated in the second chapter, verse 16. And so let me read that verse before we get to the uh, chapter 6. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ. Even so, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now that's the doctrinal heart of the book of Galatians and he expounds that truth in the first four chapters. I think I need probably to say a word about justification. You know, there are those who say that we, that we preachers ought not to use those technical, theological words like justification, sanctification, glorification. But I'm convinced that we need to use those and explain to our congregations what they mean. Justification is a great biblical word that expresses something very great about salvation. It's one of those salvation terms, justification. It really implies that we are lawbreakers. It's a legal term. And, uh, and it implies that all of us, in one sense, stand before God as criminals. We're, we are guilty in the sight of God. And the law makes us guilty. And justification has to do with being declared not guilty. It has to do with righteousness. You know, God requires us to be righteous. And the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. 
Now, how in the world are we ever going to meet God's demand if God says that we are to be righteous, but there's none of us righteous? Well, here's the reason why we can stand before God. But now, the righteousness without the law is manifested toward us in the, in the righteousness which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Righteousness is a gift from God, and that is justification. Justification is how we have met the righteousness which God's demand, which is the righteousness of Christ, and it's imputed to us when we're saved. And therefore, we stand before God, and the sentence comes down, acquitted, not guilty, he stands before me as righteous, and he've met, we've met the righteousness of God. Amen. And this is by faith. Note how many times the Apostle Paul emphasizes that this righteousness cannot be accomplished by human effort, that a man is not justified by the works of the law. He says it three times. We cannot be righteous by the works of the law. We cannot be righteous by the works of the law. How can we be righteous? We were righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, and God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us by faith. And that is justification. We can stand before God, and he says, justified, justified. I declare you as righteous in my sight. Amen. Now, that's the doctrine. But, there, but while we cannot achieve that by works, once we are justified, we are to work it out. We are to demonstrate and we are to give evidence that we have been justified. And so Paul deals with that in chapters 5 and 6. And I'm just going to be dealing with the part of it this morning, living out the justified life. And living out the justified life in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If a man think of himself more to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another for every man shall bear his own burden. Now, I want you to note, we're to bear one another's burdens, but we are to bear our own burden. I'll explain that in just a moment. Let him that, taught, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth by the, to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them whereof are the, are the household of faith. Living out the justified life if we're going to live out the justified life, which we have by faith, we are declared righteous in the sight of God by faith. We have met God's demands for righteousness in the righteousness of our Lord 
Jesus Christ, which is given to us as a gift. If we're going to live that life of justification out, we must be involved in the ministry of restoration. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one, considering thyself involved in the ministry of restoration. I'm looking at this audience, and I know that there are some broken people. This is a medical term uh, that's used often in setting a broken bone. And a broken bone is to be set and to be healed. And if we're involved, if we are going to live out the justified life, we need to be involved in the ministry of restoring those who are broken, restoring those who are fallen, if any man be overtaken in a fall. And I'm thinking as I look at this that uh, this is something that we fail to do. Most churches are not involved in the ministry of restoration. If someone falls, if someone is overtaken in a fault, which is one of the words for sin, what do we do? Two things that we often do in the matter of a person who's overtaken with a sin. One thing is that uh, we just ignore it. None of our business. After all, doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? And so if someone falls by the wayside, someone is overtaken in a sin, what do we do? We just ignore it. None of our business. And the second thing that we often do is talk about it. We criticize. We often, we often even call a person who is overtaken in sin, one of our members, we often say he's a hypocrite and we just go talk about it. What we ought to be doing, my dear Christian friends, is seeking to restore such a one. Amen. Ought to be involved in the ministry of, rest, of, of uh, restoration. Now let me have a word of caution here about this. Since we're to be involved in a ministry of restoration, uh, there may be some that would abuse that, go on and sinning and say, you know, the church is obligated to forgive me and restore me. I want to warn any of you, I want to warn myself, that once you have been broken and the restoration takes place, it is never the same. It is never the same. I, uh, and some of you have some surgery scars. Several years ago, I was cleaning out my garage, uh, my uh, storage uh, uh, building, and I found a globe, a light globe. had a big hole in the center of it. I picked it up, and it broke and slashed a, uh, my thumb, a tendon in my thumb. And uh, my son-in-law was there with me, and he took me to the doctor, and the doctor looked at it and said, you need to see a, uh, a surgeon. And so I went to a surgeon. He slashed that thumb all the way down to my wrist, cut my wrist and picked that tendon, tendon up and tied it back on the end of that thumb. I can show you that thumb. It's healed. It's been restored. But the scar is there. And I can't use my thumb as well as I used to. It's hard for me to pick up a pencil on the, on the table. Oh, I want to warn all of us to be careful 
when the tempter comes and we're tempted to go off and commit a sin and the church is obligated to restore us, you can be restored, healed, but it's never the same. Never the same. The warning about what the consequence of sin. And I must point out, old friends, there's a difference between forgiveness and consequence. You can be forgiven, but the consequences of a sinful action remain in your life. But the other word of, I want to say to those of us who are justified by faith, uh, to be involved in restoration is always a painful activity. It's painful for those to be restored, and it's painful for those who are involved in restoration. And as any setting of the bone that's broken in one's body, it is a painful experience to have a bone reset, and it's a painful experience to have a wound uh, that is sewed up with, uh, with stitches. It's a painful thing to be involved in restoration, and probably that's the reason why most of us avoid it. But we are to be involved in the ministry of restoration if we're going to fulfill the justified life. Following a justified life means to be involved in the ministry of restoration. Secondly, if we're going to live out the justified life, we're to be involved in burden bearing. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Burden bearing. Now, doesn't the Bible say that we're to cast our burdens upon the Lord? In fact, Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. In 1 Peter chapter 3, casting all your cares upon the Lord for he careth for thee. And yet the Bible here says that we're to bear one another's burdens. You know, there's some burdens that can be so heavy that almost blinds us to the fact that Jesus is the great burden bearer. Amen. But uh, you need somebody to come alongside of you and, there, and to help you carry that burden until you can see your way to Jesus to cast all your cares upon the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the great burden bearer. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and, cast, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast your cares upon Jesus. But we need to be involved in burden bearing. Now, this word for burden is different from the next word for burden in the next statement I'm going to be making. This word for burden has to do with a heavy, heavy object that it's impossible for one person to lift up and carry, and you need somebody to come along and help you carry that particular weighted object. And so he uses this to talk about those burdens that we carry in our lives, and we need somebody to come along aside of us and help us carry that burden until we can see our way to cast that burden completely upon the Lord who cares for us. If we're going to be involved in living out the justified life, we need to be involved in burden bearing. And thirdly, if we're going to live out the justified life, we need to be fulfilling personal responsibility. Coming down to that next phrase, every, for every man shall bear his own burden. 
bear ye one another's burdens, but let every man bear his own burden. Now, what's the difference? What's the, what appears to be a contradiction here? Well, the, well, the meaning is that there's different, the different kinds of burdens. The word for burden in the first uh, statement I made has a, to do with a heavy object, un, uh, an object so heavy that one person cannot carry it by himself. Now, this word for burden is a different word. It really has to do with a soldier's pack. You know, every soldier has to carry his own pack. He can, no one else can carry it for him. And, and it really has to do with personal responsibility. Every one of you has something that you need to be doing to glorify God in and through this local church. Every one of you has some kind of gift that God has given you. Uh, we have a state, we have uh, at least three statements in the scriptures, three chapters in the scriptures that devote, are devoted to the spiritual gifts that we have. And every one of us has something that God has given you, an ability that God has given you, and you ought to fulfill it in the life of this church. I've often dreamed about a church where every member contributed to something in the life of that church. My, it would be like heaven on earth. If every one, if everyone gave like they're supposed to, if everyone served in some capacity like they're supposed to, my, what, what, could be, what could be accomplished in any town, any city, with reference to the ministry of that church, we are to fulfill personal responsibility if we're going to live out the justified life, let, let everyone bear his own burden. And then there is a final statement. If we're going to fulfill the justified life, we need to remember and abide by the law of the harvest. If you'll note a very widely quoted statement from the book of Galatians, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. The law of the harvest, sowing and reaping. Now let me mention two basic principles of the harvest uh, before I apply this to three areas. There are two simple uh, principles of the harvest. One, you're going to reap what you sow. If you sow cotton seed, you're going to reap cotton. If you sow corn seed, you're going to reap corn. If you sow bean seed, you're going to reap beans. That's the law of the harvest. You're going to reap what you sow. And then the second principle of the law of the harvest, you're going to reap more than you sow. Now, if you've heard that before, if you've had anything to do with gardening, anything to do with farming, you know those two principles are, are, uh, cannot be uh, disputed. You're going to reap what you sow, and you're going to reap more than you sow. Now, Paul applies that principle to three areas that I think a church ought to be involved in. Number one, he applies it to supporting the Christian ministry. In verse 6, listen to this. Now, this is related to the principle. He states it before he gets to the principle. Let him that is taught in the word, that's you. 
our pastor stands before you week after week teaching us. And we're sitting there listening. We're taught in the word. Let him that is taught in the word communicate. Now that word communicate means more than just uh, getting on the phone or writing a letter. It has to do with sharing. The word communicate in, in this sense has to do with sharing. Let him share unto him that teacheth in all good things. That has to do with supporting the Christian ministry. Now, if I were your pastor, I'd be reluctant to talk to you about this. But I'm not your pastor. And so I'm going to tell you, dear Christian friends, and I know we do, we support our staff. And I, but I want you to know you never feel bad about supporting your ministers. Amen. Here's the law of the principle. He comes and cites this law. Then he said, let him that is taught in the word share with the good things that he has received from the Lord. And here he states this principle. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And when we're supporting the Christian minister, we're sowing something. Amen. And we're going to be reaping what we sow with reference to supporting the Christian ministry. And then the second way in, uh, that he applies this principle is the one that we ordinarily think about and most evangelists who preach from this text make this uh, application. It has to do with human behavior. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For, the, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth of the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He's talking about human behavior. He's talking about human conduct. And uh, we need to remember this, that as you live your life, you're going to reap what you sow. If it's uh, immorality, you're going to reap terrible, a terrible crop. I don't know how many times through the years, and I've been preaching to congregations now for 65 years or more, how many times have I heard this about justifying the life of the children. You know, he's just a young man. He's, uh, every, every young man has so many wild oats to sow. Have you ever, if you've said that about your boys, I don't, know, I don't know why we don't say it about our girls, but it's always out about a boy. Every, every boy has so many wild oats he's going to sow. And we sort of justify some kind of behavior with that. But I have to remind all of us, yes, he may have to sow those wild oats, but he's going to reap from those wild oats. Amen. And so here's a warning about the lifestyle that we have that whatever a person sows in his life, he's going to reap it. And if it's the fleshly things, he's going to reap corruption. And if it's spiritual things, he's going to reap spiritual life. And so he applies this to our conduct. And then the third way in which he applies this is just doing good for other people. He, gets, he starts with an exhortation here, be not weary in well-doing. And then he gives a promise, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then he comes to give an application. Here's the exhortation, don't be weary in well-doing. Now I tell you, my good Christian friends, that can happen. Grow weary in well-doing. 
I was pastor of a church in Dallas, Texas many years ago. And one Sunday evening, just about training union time. Now I know in this audience, some of you don't know what training union is. <laughs> but there was a time when Baptist churches had training union. Uh, earlier it was called BY, Baptist Youth Training Union, BYB2U, BY, whatever. And it came to be training union. Then we'd call it another name, and then finally we've almost eliminated it. But we had training union those days before the worship service. And just before training union was to start, a lady drove up on the parking lot of the church, car full of little kids, and she gave me a story. I went out to greet them, and uh, she gave me a story. Her husband had died a couple of weeks before. She did domestic work. She got laid off. And she needed some groceries and sort of played on my sympathies. I said, well, I'll tell you what, give me your address and I'll tell the church about it and you'll have groceries on your table tonight. It was even Sunday. In those days, a lot of grocery stores were not open on Sunday. Can you all remember that? But I found a grocery store and I got one of the deacons to go with me. And we filled a back seat of a car full of groceries. And we went looking for that address. And that address was an empty lot. Nobody on it. We drove around and drove around. And I went back and I talked that grocery into taking back those groceries. We couldn't find that lady. <laughs> well, days went by. And come Thanksgiving... Come Thanksgiving, uh, the ladies came to me and said, we'd like to do something for some, fam for some family during the Thanksgiving. And I and my family are going to come back to Arkansas to visit my family during that holiday. I said, well, I'm going to be gone. And this same deacon, I was talking to him, I said, I'm going to be gone. Now, y'all take care of it. I think it's a good thing. We ought to do that. So they planned to help out a family. And I got back from my trip to Arkansas and I said to the deacon, I said, well, how did things go about that plan? He said, Pastor, that was the same woman. And I had to tell the church about that. And I'm telling you, when that happens, you can grow weary in well-doing. But here's the exhortation, grow not weary in well-doing. And it's easy to do that when you help folks, when you try to do good and you, and you do your best and there's no appreciation and sometimes it's all in vain. You wonder, is it, am I doing any good? And they just grow weary in well-doing. I served the McLean Baptist Church over in Memphis. I guess you, uh, you couldn't call it an interim because I was there seven years. Uh, but... Uh, uh, our church over there had a policy, to, a benevolent ministry. And uh, we had a policy. We had a little grocery store, local grocery store, that we had agreement with that we could send somebody there and they could get so many groceries, charge it to the church. And if somebody needed gas, we had a service station that they could go by the service station and get so much gas. And that happened nearly every week. My wife had to be, happened to be the secretary of the church 
the financial secretary, and then she became the church secretary, and she had to handle that and send those uh, families to get help. I don't know how many on that seven-year period of time that we sent to a grocery store and sent to a service station. And in my memory, we had one family that sent back a word of thanks, a family that we helped get to Texas. One. And I'm telling you, dear Christian friends, when that takes place, it's easy to grow weary in well-doing. But yet the word of God says, grow not weary in well-doing. Why? There's a promise, for in due time, in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Amen. You know, there's a reaping time. Uh, I, went to, uh, I went to Wynn yesterday with some friends, and on the way I saw a lot of cotton, uh, cotton patches, white, all white. Reminded me when I was a boy. It just made me so anxious to get a cotton sack on and get out there and pick. <laughs> but you know, there was a planting time. There was a prep preparation time. Now, in days of modern machinery, it's changed, but when I was a boy, we started breaking ground in February. Cold. Froze to death on that tractor. And then burned up in the summertime. And it was hard a lot of work went in. But in due season, in due season, cotton picking time came and cash came to the Millican household when cotton picking time came. In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. And doing good, regardless, regardless of how wearisome it may be at times, just remember there is a payday coming. Amen. And he, he gives this law of the harvest, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And then he comes to give the application. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. That means those who are not members of our church. means those who may not even be Christians. Let us do good. Let us not grow weary in helping them even though they may never send forth a word of appreciation, a word of thanks. Let's continue to do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith. Amen. If there's one of our family that has need and needs to be helped to do good to them, to help them, we're to give them priority, especially to those who are the household of faith. And so, if we're going to fulfill the ministry of justification, the life of justification, living out the life of justification, we need to remember the law of the harvest. And a part of that law of the harvest is to do good, to help people regardless of how wearisome it may be at times. Now, I know that perhaps in some of our audience today that this may not be applicable to you. The first part of my message is more applicable to you. There may be some here 
still under the condemnation of the law. The law has found you guilty in the sight of God. And God demands of you righteousness, but you're not righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. And my word to you is to come to Jesus. Place your faith in the righteous one. And God will take his righteousness and put it on your account and declare you righteous in the sight of God. What I'm saying to you today is this. You need to be saved. If you're not justified, you need to be saved. And the only way you can be justified is to come to Christ and receive his righteousness. But then I would say to our audience, most of whom this truth is applicable, you have been justified. You stand before God as righteous. He's declared you to be that. But now we're to fulfill that life of righteousness by being involved in the ministry of restoration, by bearing one another's burdens, by fulfilling our own responsibility, and by remembering the law of the harvest. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.